Stalk Talks podcast brings you intelligent discussion of topical issues inspired by the international city of peace and justice. I think we all know what we need to do. Problems, they come like a costume. They fit you. Remove our inner critic and open our inner, you know, curiosity. You know, nothing speaks louder than money. Walk in, slam your fist on the table, so... (laughs) Yeah. Together, <laughs> something has to change. Welcome back to another episode of Stalk Talks. Today, we talk about what some have called the nectar of the gods. Certainly, it is one of the oldest alcoholic beverages in recorded history. And if you've not guessed it already, I'm talking, of course, about wine. And I believe that you actually have a Persian myth about the origins of this magic concoction for us, Tom. That's that's right, Zoe. And the story goes that a woman of the Persian king's harem was banished, and as a last resort, she wandered into the warehouse and drank from a container labeled poison. However, what she drank were the remnants of grapes that had been spoiled and that had been fermenting in that barrel. So instead of poison, she found her spirits lifted and took her discovery back to the king, who became so enamored of this drink that he accepted the woman back and decreed that all grapes grown would be devoted to winemaking. I think I speak on behalf of all wine lovers when I say that whatever the story behind it, wine is a very, very welcome addition to our lives. But today we're not only discussing wine as a beverage, but also the special relationship between wine and poetry that existed in ancient Persia and what this means for wine lovers in The Hague and in Amsterdam today. To learn more, we've invited Persian wine seller, philosopher and poet, Ofren Badakshani, to join us on today's show. Ofren, welcome to Stalk Talks. Thank you very much for having me and for this, uh, for this great opportunity. Uh, it's an absolute uh, delight to have you on the show. And I think one thing that is a, an important opening question is to say many people might not immediately associate wine with Iran or Persia. But you have previously explained that Asian Persia has a very rich winemaking tradition. So what inspired you to bring this tradition and this wine back to The Hague and to the Netherlands? It is the uh, wine and uh, let's put it in the wine in Islam uh, prospect because it is you know, a very interesting and wide discussion in itself. So wine production and wine tradition, it goes like almost 7,000 years ago uh, you know, to, to Persia. And even in, in Georgia and Armenia and the whole region, they have found some uh, archaeological artifacts that takes us like uh, 7,000 years back. So winemaking has always been you know, part of the tradition. And the story that you referred in, in the beginning, there are a few varieties of that story, but the thing is, like, this is the oldest tale, the oldest uh, story that we have on the origin of wine. And there are also another story that the ancient Persian kings, they took all decisions in two states of mind. So one sober and one drunk, and if in both states of mind, uh, that sounded a good idea, then they, they, would have, they would have done it and they would have taken What an excellent idea. Yes, amazing idea. And I think, and then, you know, wine, wine was, you know, part of this tradition because it was from the religious views that the wine is, and then later we will see in the, in the Sufi traditions that wine becomes an assemble and it is something that gets rid of the self in us, they say. So without wine, we are full of ourselves and the wine comes and empties us of the self and we are then full with, with another living being which carries the soul of the grape within it. 
And like the, the Greeks and like some you know, other pre-Christian uh, beliefs and religion, so the wine brought us closer to the gods. And there were also religious, religious reasons to drink wine because wine would have purified us and purified the soul. And so they had many reasons you know, to drink wine. And this was the case even in the Islamic ages, actually, up to maybe 80 years ago in Iran, there was uh, you know, a wide production of you know, wine and, and distilling and, and, and drinking and in Afghanistan until 1991, actually. And only then it got banned. And in Tajikistan, as the third Persian country, it never stopped except for the era of the Russian uh, dominance that they used the planned, econ- planned economy, they were not allowed to produce wine. So except for this, you know, this small bread, so wine has always been there and it's still there. So it's, they still make it and they still drink it, but it is not allowed by law and it's forbidden because it's in, in, in contradiction with the Islamic views and Islamic uh, you know, tradition. Our friend, just, just to cut in for a minute, how, yeah, how does that work exactly? Because if we think, well, many people outside perhaps of the Middle East, if they think Islam, they think, yes, that's, well, no alcohol. So how is it that even up until eight years ago, these traditions continued? Well, there is a, in the beginning of a book written by Ahmad Rashid, it is called Where is Islam? It is, he was an anthropologist who unfortunately died a few years ago. And in the beginning of this book, there's a story of him with his colleagues, and I think, on uh, Oxford University. And then they were at some meeting and he, he takes a glass of wine and his colleague says, but you are a Muslim. He says, yes. He says, but you are drinking wine. He says, yes. I said, I don't understand. And then he says, yeah, well, you don't have to understand. I do. <laughs> he has a device. <laughs> so there is the Islam, and there are the Muslims. And, and then in addition to that, you have the Islam and you have the, the indigenous culture of different countries and, and, and tribes who have uh, accepted Islam as their religion, but there are certain elements of their culture that is still there. And their, their Islam is actually a little adapted to their culture, their domestic cultures. And so... There is a little taking and, and giving. A strictly sin in Islam, of course, there is forbidden. But a lot of Islamic countries produce wine. Even today, Turkey produces wine and Morocco produces wine and Algeria produces all in this produce everywhere. And some countries, it produce only for export. But then there is also domestic use of it. So, so this is like with any other religion, there are certain kind of restrictions. If you strictly live by them, then of course, then life is a little miserable. But if not, then there is a lot of... Yeah, a lot of fun stuff, you know, on the side. Um, so being a Muslim doesn't really mean not drinking wine or it should not be immediately associated. But, you know, the image I understand that they are. But uh, you go to Azerbaijan, for example, there's an Islamic country, a Shia country, and they produce wine. They've produced wine for 6,000 years and they still produce wine. And, and one of my trips, I was there and I asked them, what is the drinking tradition of Azerbaijan when I just arrived? And they said, we are an Islamic country. We don't have a drinking tradition. And then we went to the dinner and there is you a glass of wine. But there's a glass, of, a shot of spirit. So you touch it and then you have to drink it. And then everyone, no one could walk. I said, like, uh, what is the, is this the uh, Azerbaijani tradition? And they said, we are an Islamic country. We don't have a drinking tradition. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh, well, ours is not to question why. Okay, that, that, that is fascinating, uh, Afran, really fascinating. Perhaps we can just turn a little bit more locally to your wine shop. And I believe it's called The Philosophe or The Philosopher in English. And I think some, some of us are familiar with your beautiful Persian cat named Socrates after one of the great Greek philosophers. Uh, he's become something of an icon, I think. What What is the relationship then between wine and philosophy in Persian culture? Well, it is, it is in the Persian tradition, uh, we, we celebrate everything. 
you know, even death is celebrated. So greatness is celebrated. So everything is celebrated and the celebrations have always been with wine. It's a culture of uh, joy, it's a culture of giving, it's a culture of singing, it's a culture of dancing, and et cetera, et cetera. So anything, so any reason that contributes to celebrating life and to, you know, to loving life and to appreciating life its fullest extent, that would have always been, you know, done and, and embraced by the Persians throughout the history. And wine is, of course, you know, a great part of, of such a life. But then we have some unsettled businesses between the Persians and the Greeks. So uh, I called my cat Socrates for a little reconciliation. <laughs> like maybe he is a Persian, <laughs> but he is willing to accept to be called Socrates. And I'm actually planning also to bring some grapes, the indigenous grapes from Iran and from Afghanistan and to plant this and on, and on Greek soil and produce a wine that is with the you know, the Persian, indigenous Persian grapes, but produced on the Greek soil. And I sometimes make a joke like we conquer the Greece this way again. But the thing is that so much taken and giving between the Persians and the Greeks after the first conquerings or the first infractions with the uh, with Alexander the Great, at some point Persia becomes the greatest center of new Platonism. And actually it's because of their work. Ancient philosophy is not lost and it gets back translated into Greek. And after the dark Middle Ages, we come back to the philosophy. And so, so there is this torch as has been going around Persia and then coming back. And, and we are still in this, we are in a great depth to, to Greeks and to their culture. And the, the reason they brought us philosophy and a mathematician and so many other things. And the same for ancient Persians and any other you know, civilization, be it Sumerians, be it Egyptians. So being part of this great history and this, that is, it is, I feel very fortunate to be in between of these three in the different cultures and to equally appreciate and, and love and enjoy whatever they have offered to offer you. More than a, just a shop, we used to organize philosophy meetings, poetry events, some small music events, traditional musics from all over the world, and bringing the wines of those regions also and to this small corner so everyone can come and, and find a little piece of home. Wonderful. I mean, I do like the idea that we look back to the ancient times, the Greeks, the Persians, so many ancient cultures, we see that there is a, that they're not necessarily split up, that they are related to one another, and that we can learn from a, a grasp of both the East and the West. Uh, I think that's that's very nice. And I, I really like the, the give and take metaphor as well, because I, I think that's a important thing to understand is today, what, what we're talking about today is like, it's not just about one specific place, but how everything is interconnected. And honestly, there was one other aspect that we would like to touch upon because we've been jumping towards your activities. We've been jumping to the history, to the Persian history. And there's, there's one topic specifically that we would like to, to talk with you about because people often claim to be great poets after having a, a glass of wine. And indeed, the relationship between wine and poetry is something that we touched upon, and it's very strong in Persian culture. Just before we, we started, you said, well, there are so many different words in, in Persian culture about wine, like but the 10 different words for 10 different times, depending on when you drink the wine. And we were looking at some of the poetry, and there's one famous poet from, uh, I hope I pronounced this correctly, but Hafez? Hafez? Hafez, yeah. Hafez. And it, and it's, yeah. it says, oh, come, let's scatter rose paddles and fill the cup with wine. Let's tear the ceiling of the universe and create a new one. In, in, in the poetry, wine yeah. and drunkenness are two of the most common metaphors in Persian mythical love poetry. So could you well guide us through, be our guide a little bit in this Persian poetry and, and the metaphors used in relation to wine as well? Yeah, so that part of the poem uh, reminds me of the original Ghazal, Biyoto Gulbarafshonim Mumaydar Sogarandozim in Persian. So when you translate it, it doesn't, you know, there's a lot lost in translation, the lingual game and how formulates it and how, and how beautiful it is. So he is, 
he belongs to one of the Sufi traditions. And there is complaining always in, because there's a the struggle of humans with a, with a destiny, with a predestined fate. And he is fed up with this. He says, no, if you pour me a good glass of wine, I would be able to rewrite it. And so will you be, will you be able to rewrite it? So there's the purity of the wine which symbolizes this is it, it at some point they have defined it as something divine. So this is not a worldly wine, but it's a wine, it's a divine wine. And some readings of the uh, Islamic creationist story that they say they consider the gods or Allah as the first wine pourer because that they consider our body as the cap and the soul as the wine that entered our body. So he will be the first saqi or the first wine pourer that gave us the, the gift of life and the gift of life and it is another word let's say for wine but the wine in itself is a symbol of purity as a symbol of joy as a symbol of becoming one with uh, with the with, with the beloved because what it does is it empties you like they also sometimes use the metaphor of the flute which is then which sings so beautifully the reason that he sings so beautifully because it's empty from within there is no self in him so uh, wine helps you to get rid of the self and it completely empties you of yourself. And when you are empty of yourself, then you can only be filled with the beloved and you become one with the, with the beloved. So in many ways, they use wine either for the purification of the soul and of the mind. And only the most pure of, of women are allowed to serve you wine in the old Persian uh, taverns. And, and some Persian taverns goes the story that by the entrance, they were in a broken cup filled with wine and uh, in the greek and in, in, in latin we have in vino veritas in persian we have truth is in in drunkenness not in wine but in, in drunkenness so by the entrance of every tavern you would have a cup of wine a broken cup of wine and by the entrance where whoever you are you leave that uh, outside by entering this tavern you get a sip of that wine if you are a king okay. or if you are a, a, a big it doesn't matter who you are the moment you enter this tavern you are equal you are just the same as everyone else and they would have done at the end of the at the end of the evening and the last call the those who, who were working at the tavern they would carry the drunk man and women on their shoulders to their houses because that was part of the service that you you take care of <laughs> come to you and you know the poets and the creative and they came there and this was a kind of like a mystical something with some mm -hmm. students of the mysticism they were also sent to the taverns go there and learn from them you know from the master of the tavern from the master and from the winemaker and stuff so there has been so much used in this mystic poetry and, and mystic traditions that has become something holy. There is a lot of you know, respect. And we have another great tradition that the first sip of your glass or of your bottle, this is the share of our ancestors. So when I pour you wine, a little of it we put on the ground. If you say, let's say you have an uh, apple garden. You're picking your apples. One of the branches on every tree, you live there. You do not pick it because this is shared for the, for the mother nature to be thankful for everything that is given us. When you are harvesting your crops, you little a little grain or whatever you is there on the soil on the soil for just to give back to the nature. Wonderful. Yeah. So the main thing is the philosophy and and, and poetry. Some even like when you said in the beginning that with a glass of wine, everyone thinks that he is a great poet. I don't know if this applies for everyone, but at least for every great poet, is this true? Every great poet that I know in any language, they were into wine. No, no, it must be true that with a good glass of wine, though, you'd be able to write. I agree. Uh, it seems to me that the Persian understanding of wine is almost like to, to see more deeply or, or more honestly or openly see, see the world. For example, uh, Khayyam is a, a mathematician, a philosopher, but he is also a great poet again. And he has written only about wine. So nothing else. In the only subject he writes is about wine. 
let's say about the, the shortness of life and about the only certainty that we will end at, at, at some point. And then he says, any opportunity you you can seize to drink red wine, you should not lose it because this is. And he, in one of his poems, uh, he asks to the sake, to the wine pourer, he said, "Give me another glass because." The breathe I'm taking in, I don't have the certainty to take it out. So give me as more as you can. <laughs> so, yeah, speaking of these great poets, philosophers, even mathematicians of the past, we've mentioned Hefez, who, who is very, very, very well known. He came from the ancient city of Shiraz, which was, in fact, at the center of winemaking in Persia. And, and we're all, I think, familiar, many of us are familiar with Shiraz as a great variety. But there are many other great varieties from this part of the world. Could you just tell us about one or two of your particular favorites? The story behind the, the grape, uh, Shiraz grape, this is, this is one of the beautiful stories, but it's not true. So the grape Shiraz is not a Persian grape. Uh, there's a crossing between a grape from the south of France and north of Italy. And the story goes that there's, um, in the first interaction of the Greeks with the Persians, the Greeks had bitter wines and the wines of Shiraz were sweet. The Greeks did. They would uh, put a little uh, Persian wine into their own wine to make it drinkable. And this story has been there. And then an Australian winemaker who sourced them many years ago. One of the grapes, the Syrah variety, calls Shiraz. And the hope for the sweet soul of the Persian wine to enter his vineyard and to enter his bottle. So this is how then Shiraz became so, you know, so, so big. But the grape is called Shiraz. And many, the Persian grapes are not named after places or the Persian grapes are named after persons or we have for example the uh, bright pinky as one one grape for example it's a, it's a white grape it's very long it's very beautiful and we have Husseini some of grapes are named after after people but then of the families of grapes then uh, nowadays like everywhere in the world there's only one family of the grapes and then we have cultivated some of them to make wine and some of them are uh, table grapes but then and Iran and Afghanistan and Tajikistan, you have two other families of grapes that are, they have a different DNA. They are completely different grapes. They have much bigger berries, for example, and clusters that could go up to 10 kilos. Then they hang like, they grow like you, it's a different, then in Greece, uh, you have this tradition too. So some grapes, they are just, let's say, 50 centimeters to one meter from the ground. Some traditions, they lay it on the ground. Some traditions then, like the trees, they grow very high and you can walk under it and you can then pick the, the clusters. So this is the, the more common tradition of the Persian world. But then the grapes are, let's say, from Uzbekistan to Iran, from you have Objush, which is a, a white grape. You have Lal, which means ruby. In one of my talks at the University of Soa, so I had counted the recorded Persian grapes, and there are seven, 720-some varieties recorded. Wow. I, I think it's a, a sort of a fantastic unwilling summary of how in-depth this topic goes not just in in poetry but in wines is there's so much more to talk about and i'm i'm wondering if there's like specific things that you would like to make sure that we take away from from either the poetry or from the wines or for the philosophy to make sure that we don't miss out in these short 20 to 25 minutes that we have i think one of the most important things is that the openness that we miss in in this whole and this whole region so the Persians are standing on the shoulders of the ancient Indians and they are standing on the shoulders of you know, different tribes. And then you see that part of the Persians is actually Greek and part of Greeks are actually Persian. And, and so go then you know, the Sumerians and the Egyptians and so many, for example, you take the uh, Sumerian story of Gilgamesh and half of the Holy Bible and the Quran is based on that, on that little story that is a few pages of it is left. And you see like how you know, a great part of our civilization is just shaped by one short story that is done by the, you know, by the Sumerians. So the world is you know, much smaller than we think. 
and less black and, and white. It's not just either the Greeks or the Persians. It is we should be to the extent of how colorful life is. So many different traditions, so many different tribes, so many different cultures have contributed to everything that is beautiful in the world. And wine is a great part of it, and so is philosophy, and so is, uh, so is poetry. So let's say seven years ago, in, this, in The Hague, when I started this shop, someone would enter my shop, ask me like, uh, oh, I said, I have a, let's say, I have a Syrah from Azerbaijan. They're like, wow, Syrah from Azerbaijan, that I'd not expected. But do you also something that I know? Do you have something French? I said, no. And then they would walk away. And my wine tasting, I had French gentlemen refusing to taste a Chardonnay from Bulgaria because the Chardonnay cannot be good if it's not from France. It was a judge. He was well-educated. And, and if you see how, how limited sometimes, the most important thing when entering a shop, when entering a country, when entering a new language, when entering a new tradition, this belongs to all of us. If, it's, if I don't speak Greek yet, doesn't mean that it's not mine. I mean, if Hafiz is equally yours, you have as big a share in, in Hafiz's poetry and philosophy as I do as a Persian speaker. It was not your fault that you were not born in Iran or Afghanistan to speak his language and read his poetry. And not my fault that I was born in Afghanistan and came to know T.S. Eliot only like 15 years ago. So when we are talking about wine, as it's, it's a kind of art. We are speaking of beauty. We are speaking of, of something that is so universal. The community around wine, fortunately, the community around philosophy, the community around uh, poetry, in most cases, they are very open-minded. In most cases, they have different parts of the world. If not, we have kind of this moral obligation to open this world more to everyone else. This is, there is too much beauty not to share. And that would be a shame if you know that there is so much beauty. And if I know that there is so much beauty and we keep this for ourselves and we keep this only for those within our own comfort zone, that is then a shame. So we have to drag everyone else to poetry and to philosophy and to show them how interdependent actually we are, how everything is connected. Well, I think you're doing that very well, Afrin, um, not only in, in our discussion today, mm -hmm. but also through your shops, uh, your wine tastings, your poetry readings which we hope will start up again when we finally come out of lockdown. Yes. I believe you are still open. Have, you have um, slightly reduced opening hours, but perhaps we can end with these words from Hafez himself. Obviously, they're translated uh, into English. It's not the, the original, but I found them and I just felt that they were very appropriate given where we're all at at the moment. So we'll finish with those. Might they open the doors of the wine shops and loosen their hold on our knotted lives. If shut to satisfy the ego of the Puritan, take heart, for they will reopen to please God. Oh, yes. A few days ago, I tweeted about this, and I was like, uh, will they ever open the doors of the taverns as part of this poem? And I said, like, Hafiz had many centuries ago spoken about this lockdown. When would they open again? <laughs> the, the doors of the taverns. So you can <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. But hopefully our I mean we have also now a wine bar in the Hague and we just for three months uh, we were open and then uh, and lockdown and there we have cheeses from all over the world and there's wines from all over the world. Philosophers in books, you can come and, and borrow a book, you can come and give a book and you can come for a conversation, have a coffee, have a chat, have a glass of wine if you don't drink uh, a glass of water if you don't drink wine. 
So hopefully when this is open again, we'll be able to continue our, our meetings and uh, storytelling. I'm, I'm super happy that we were able to, to bring that story, even in a reduced, smaller version to, to many people. And uh, I, I think it's a, a welcome invitation to learn more about wine, poetry and, and philosophy to, to stop by. And I just want to say that we are incredibly happy that you joined us today, Afran. Thank you so much. No, thank you guys. Thank you for the opportunity. And I'm looking forward to, you know, see you guys on a table at the wine bar so we can raise a glass, you know, to our face and, and to all those great other poets. Then this uh, is over soon. So. I look forward to it very much as well, Afrin. Thank you to all our listeners. And of course, stay tuned for another episode of Stalk Talks, same time next week. If you want to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or you can find the full podcast on Anchor, please do. And of course, we'll also share with you the details of De Filiso, our friends' uh, wine shops, those will be shared if you want to visit.